Hello dear friends, welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life. We're meeting every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time from beautiful California and we have been studying Heaven and Hell. The second part, we've been focusing on the cases that Alan Kardec gifted us with the life cases, the spirits who are reporting back to us about their experiences from the other side. And we've been learning. We've been learning from the happy spirits for several weeks. We've been focusing on the average spirits and learning a lot of good lessons. And now we're focusing on the suffering spirits. We want to thank Cardiac Radio from the bottom of our hearts for this beautiful platform that was created for us, thanks to Dr. Vanessa Anceloni and all the good spirits who co-created Cardiac Radio in the English language, which is so precious for those of us who do not speak Portuguese. So today we are talking about a young man who passed away at a young age and his name is Michael August, and there is a French version of that, but we'll focus on the English pronunciation of him. And let us see what we're going to learn from him tonight, because he, like each and every single spirit that we've been discussing, have some deep, deep lessons for us, because it is today that we can prepare ourselves for a better future, Every single minute of our days, we're putting a new seed into our beautiful garden of eternity. And it is up to us what kind of seed we're picking. It is up to us what kind of a garden we're planting and what kind of a harvest we will be harvesting. So let us see that we can take one other step in our evolution and in our inner transformation. So Michael August, you find him on page 349. He is a pretty long case, so we'll do our very best to get through it. So he was a rich young man, and he enjoyed the material life largely and exclusively. So we're setting the stage behind which, against which we're learning why he's experiencing his life after life the way it is. So he was rich, he was essentially a materialist. Although he was intelligent, indifference towards serious matters was his characteristic trait. Non-threatening, good rather than evil. Let's make a mental note, good rather than evil. He won the hearts of his companions in revelry because of his qualities as a man of the world. He did no evil, but he did no good either. Friends, he did no evil but he did no good either. What does that remind us of? Well, it reminds me of the Spirits book. Spirits book, question 642. And let us look at that real quick because it helps us to understand why, what is happening when we don't do any evil, but we don't do any good either. And that is our question at hand. So question 642, wise Alan Kardec, he asked the spirits on high, in order to be pleasing to God and to ensure our future situation, is it enough simply not to do what is evil? So see, he's asking the exact same question. 
Is it enough for us not to simply do evil? Let's see. The answer is no. It's not enough to just not do evil. All must do good to the best of their abilities, for all will answer for all the evil that has resulted from the good they left undone. So if we do not consistently focus on doing the good, we're actually indirectly doing so-called evil. And evil is in the sense of the absence, the temporary absence of the good. So um, we're all work in process. So we're all always evolving. But in the meantime, our lesson is to focus on doing the good on visualizing the good, on feeling the good, on speaking the good, on doing the good, on molding the good with all the resources we have, as Emmanuel teaches us in the beautiful book, Thought and Life. I want to pause for a moment because I'm seeing lots of wonderful friends joining. Uh, and I apologize if I don't mention your name because you may not show up. And of course, there is lots of friends who are listening on demand. But there's Renata Casaday. Welcome, dear friend. Thank you for joining us. So, Souza, dear friend, thank you again for coming here. And Tony, so lovely to see you again. Thanks for joining. And there is Melissa Delitaline is also watching. Thank you so much, dear friend, for coming here wanting to learn with us. Teresa Castro, lovely friend. Thank you so much for being here as well. And then there's Saul who is saying, hello, sunshine, I speak Portuguese and I'm learning spiritism in English. How lovely, Saul. For me, it is a great experience. Thanks to Kardec, thanks to Kardec Radio and all of you for all these precious moments. God bless all. So true, so true. Thank you so much, Soul, for these beautiful words. You're so right. So Kardec Radio is not only serving those of us who do not speak Portuguese, but all of you who speak Portuguese and want to further perfect your English. Wonderful work. Thank, thank, thank God, right? So we've learned that it is not good enough to not do evil. No, we must do the good because we're liable, we're responsible for all the good we omitted in doing. And those, even the, the good we omitted in doing, put some painful seeds into our garden. And we don't want that, right friends? We do not want that. We also want to go for a moment along the lines of the same lesson to this beautiful book, Missionaries of the Light by Andre Louise. And there is in chapter 12, um, the chapter I think is called Planning for a New Life. Uh, so Andre Luis is learning about reincarnation and he is visiting a um, planning institution, a planning institution where um, new bodies are being created uh, and planned for new reincarnations, for new spirits, uh, for spirits who want new bodies. And he, um, there is a teacher and his name is Man Mau Manassas. Manassas. And um, Manassas is actually a um, working in the planning institution. And he says, generally, in returning to the physical realm, almost all of us miss significant opportunities while wasting our physiological energy. While we're listening to this, I invite us all to 
tune into in into our own lives and kind of ask ourselves how much time are we wasting are we always doing the good so he says most of us most humans miss significant opportunities while wasting their physiological energies while being in the body we wander around so these souls wander around doing something useful for ourselves and for others but sometimes we waste 50, 60, 70 percent and often even more <clears throat> of our potential. On many occasions, we also have the aggravating circumstance of having used the sacred energies of life on unworthy activities that degrade our mind and harden our hearts. So we have these two pitfalls that we would like to work on minimizing in our lives. One is of just wasting time. Wasting time by not doing the good. And then that's exactly <clears throat> what Michael did. But then of course we're also tempted to make life choices that do not serve us at all. For example, if we if we indulge in substance abuse or we indulge in violence. So there's so many other ways, of course, of not doing the good. But right now we're just learning that that's not, it's not good enough to avoid doing evil. So the spirits are raising the bar for us a little bit higher. And we're asking ourselves in our own hearts and minds, how much of my time am I wasting in this body? What, where am I at on a scale of zero to 10? I know Vanessa is always so beautifully placing these therapeutic questions into our hearts and minds. And I'm passing this along to you because this is a beautiful moment to check in within ourselves. Maybe to do a little bit more of the good as we move forward. So let us move forward with Michael. So we know he was a materialist. He was a young man. He got along with a lot of people. And he was not really interested in being of service on doing the good. So he excarnated because he fell from a carriage during a ride. So this was, of course, in the, 17th, um, in the, in the 19th century, 1863. He fell off a carriage and he was evoked just a few days after his death after his passing. And here he reports, and we're picking out certain items, and you're invited to read the whole chapter because it's really interesting. He says, the terrible fall that caused the death of my body put my spirit in a great state of confusion. This is the buzzword, confusion. I'm anxious as to what will become of me, and such uncertainty is cruel. The dreadful suffering my body experiences is nothing compared to this confusion. I find myself, I find myself in. Pray, he says, that God will forgive me. Oh, what pain. Oh, have mercy, my God. What pain. And this is all with exclamation marks. So, very clearly, our Michael is in pain. He's in pain because he feels completely confused. We have spent several gatherings talking about and educating ourselves about the state of confusion, which is very, very 
um, how do you say, it? it happens very often among spirits who excarnate from earth. And it is usually linked to a lack of preparation, a lack of knowledge of how spirit life after life looks like. It is often linked to a belief of nihilism, that there is nothing. And it is often very much linked to a materialistic lifestyle because the links to the physical body are still very strong even on, at the moment of excarnation. Let us go. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let us go to the spirit's book. There is a question, 165, in the third part, 165. Let us go to 165. Let us see what we're learning here. The spirit's book is so blessed. It's so helpful. It is actually Alan Kardec dedicated a whole chapter on the state of confusion. It's actually a sub-chapter of the chapter called The Return to the Corporeal Life from the Spirit Life. And in 165, he is actually explaining, when I'm reading, it's a very long um, question and answer where Alan Kardec went into a lot of fine print, but we want to just pick out the following. This illusion lasts, it's an illusion of being still in the physical form, even though the physical form already fell, up, fell off. And the spirit, however, is confused about it. So this illusion lasts until the separation of the peri-spirit is complete. Remember, friends, there is the soul and the soul is, is, is surrounded by the peri-spirit. And it is the soul and the peri-spirit that travel together from lifetime to lifetime. And it is simply the physical form that falls off. So when the, when the peri-spirit is still very much connected to the physical form, and only then does it realize its situation and understand that it is no longer part of the world of the living. So I want to go back because I intersected the sentence. So it was, this illusion lasts until the separation of the peri-spirit is complete. And only then does it realize its situation and understands that it is no longer part of the world of the living. So this state of confusion is linked to parts of the peri-spirit still linked to the physical form. This phenomena is easy to explain. Surprised by its unforeseen death, which Michael experienced, the spirit is stunned by the sudden change that has taken place. It still believes that death is synonymous with destruction and annihilation. And since it continues to think, see and hear, it does not consider itself to be dead. This illusion is strengthened by the fact that it finds itself in a body similar to the one it just left, and it has not yet ascertained its ethereal nature. The body that Alan Kardec is referring to is the perispirit. So this confused soul confuses its perispirit with its physical form. And the confusion of where they are and what is going on, am I still alive or not, is apparently quite painful for Michael. I want to add, because we want to learn, right, what is the remedy? How can we prepare ourselves of not to have to go through the situation that Michael is faced with? How can we avoid or how can we shorten, hopefully, our state of confusion? 
Well, actually the first part of, of the answer of, of question 165 gives us a clue. Alan Kardec and actually also in Heaven and Hell, Alan Kardec also teaches us that we can educate ourselves. The more, and that's what we're doing here, and that's the purpose of our gatherings every Sunday night. We're learning about what to avoid and what to focus on today so that this won't happen. So our focus is on education, educating ourselves about the different steps of our transition, which we find in Heaven and Hell. There is a chapter just dedicated to that, which we talked about. You can actually find it on Cardiac Radio if you scroll down on the Facebook page. There is one whole gathering just dedicated to that. And the other thing is our inner transformation. Always turning towards the good, always opening our hearts more, always being more benevolent, more indulgent, and more forgiving. Those two aspects will help us greatly if for not only for our transition, but also our future life. It is the so-called dematerialization of our lives, which Michael missed. He was a materialist. So there's one more thing, and that is Leon Denis after, after death. He has, on page 218, I'm going to go there because it is quite interesting. He's helping us to further understand. And um, in the chapter called Know Thyself, <laughs> interesting, no, it's the last hour. The chapter called The Last Hour, chapter 30, in this book, Leon Denis, After Death, he is teaching us, in any, in, in any event, the separation of soul and body is followed by a period of trouble, brief for the righteous and good spirit, who soon awakens to all the beauties of the heavenly life, but which is very long, sometimes spanning years. So the state of confusion can span years for the culpable souls impregnated with coarse fluids. So this state of confusion can be very painful and can last for years. Can we imagine if we listen to Michael, how painful or how much pain he is experiencing, if that lasted for years? Well, I would like to avoid it. I hope, I'm thinking you guys would like it too. That's why we're here, right? Educating ourselves and always working on our inner transformation. Long after death, many of these still deem themselves to be living the life of the body. And that is because they mistake the peri-spirit for their physical form. They mistake, oh, and here he says it, they mistake the peri-spirit for another carnal body, subjected to the same habits and sometimes even to the same physical sensations as during the earthly life. Can be very, very confusing. Um, the hour of separation is a cruel one for the spirit of him who is unprepared and believes in annihilation. The ones who think that with the moment of death everything is over. Pretty much seeing themselves one with their bodies. He goes on to say it's a terrible struggle between failing matter and the soul that is de desperately trying to avoid the pain. He says to the point that sometimes the soul is actually feeling how the worms are gnawing on its flesh. So it is not a pretty state. 
it's not a good thing to have this state of confusion and unfortunately Michael is experiencing it. Now about 10 days later he gets evoked again and he says I'm in great pain still. You are the one medium, you're the only medium who I can ask for prayers. Now let us pause for a moment. Let us notice in the first evocation he says he asked for prayer and we're not discussing that right now but we will be talking about the fact that in every single evocation as you will see he's begging for prayers and we will look into why. So again he says I need prayers um, that God's goodness may draw me out of this confusion. How can I still be suffering when my body doesn't exist anymore? See he, he doesn't know. Why does this horrific pain, this terrible anguish continue, he says. Pray, oh pray that God may grant me repose. I'm still connected to my, my body. Come and pray over my body. Very important. Let's not miss that point. He's asking for everyone to pray over his body even. And we'll learn why in a little bit. And then he ends up, he says, please pray for me. So he says in like six different places in the second evocation, asking for prayer. Then on April 6, which is about, again, two weeks later, he gets evoked again. And what does he say, friends? He says, I've come to ask you to pray for me. You absolutely have to go to where my body is lying so that you may be able to ease my suffering. So see. Several weeks after his passing, he's still connected to his body. It was a sudden, and we know why. It was a sudden death. He was unprepared. He was a materialist. He was uneducated as to what would happen. And since it was a sudden death, death and he was young, his perispirit was still very much connected to his physical form. Oh, how I am suffering. I am suffering, he says. And, and he says, prayer to the Lord that he might forgive me. But I keep returning to the place where they buried what used to be me. So see, he's drawn to his body. Since he's not clear of his body yet, he keeps going back. And it causes him incredible amount of pain. Then, just another um, week later, he gets evoked again. And guess what he's saying now? He says, you can help me with your prayers. Again, prayers, don't stop, I beg you. Can you guys feel his pain? I see how contrary my life was to what it should have been. I see the wrongs I committed. I was a useless being. So here's the turnaround. He's now about a month after his death. Maybe let's say he was, he passed in March. Yeah, about a month later. He is finding out that he's, he's getting a perspective on his life. He's starting to understand that he's not done everything right. So he says, I see how contrary my life was to what it should have been. I see the wrongs I committed. I was a useless being while in the world. I didn't make any good use of my faculties. And this is for us, useless. We don't want to be useless. We do not want to make we do not want to miss to make any good use of our faculties. <clears throat> we want to ask ourselves how we can be of service. Where lie our gifts? 
what can we how can we best be of service how can we share our gifts he did not then he says my taste for luxury and my vanity so we don't want to be having a taste for too much luxury and we don't want to be vain i only thought about the pleasures of the body another lesson see now what the suffering spirits were starting to learn the reverse of how not to do what they did so we do not just want to focus on the pleasures of our body and not those and he forgot to focus on those of the soul we want to always nourish our souls and that's why we're here cardiac radio nourishes souls right spiritism is the one of the best tools to nourish our souls Will God's mercy ever descend upon me, he says, a poor spirit who is still suffering for his earthly wrongs? Pray, he says, pray for him to forgive me and free me from the pain that still afflicts me. Thank you for having come here to pray for me. You see, guys, the main theme is prayer for him. We'll talk about it. So now he gets invoked again. Three months later, he's back. Three months after his death, he's back. And let's see where he is now. So the first two times, he was just purely suffering, merely suffering. The third time, a month later after his passing, he was already more conscious. He realized of all the mistakes or some of the main mistakes he made during his lifetime. Essentially, he was too materialistic, too vain, and not selfless enough, not charitable enough. And now, what is he saying now? Let us see. So he says, I have seen my wrongs and hope that God will forgive me. Shape your life always according to the belief that animates you, for it has reserved a future repose for you that I still don't have. Thank you for your prayers. Until another time. This marks the last evocation that Michael gave us. And he ends his evocation with a recommendation he says shape your life always according to the belief that animates you what is he saying with that he is recommending for us to work on our inner transformation in whatever form or shape that takes in our own lives and that is something we can only find out for ourselves where am i at in being more charitable where am i at in making the utmost use of my time to do the good am i still surfing around on the internet am i watching a lot of movies or television while i could be doing something more charitable something more helpful just as one example or maybe two there's so many examples in our lives where we could still do yet another half an hour of doing the good if we ever sat down and calculated the many hours that are in one week, and then we say to ourselves, I did that at one point, and, and then we're saying, well, I want to dedicate 10% of my time of, in the week to doing the good. How many hours does that come out to be? I think I did the math once. It was one hour per day. That's really not that much, is it? To do one hour of doing the good of maybe preparing a lecture, of maybe going out and helping a friend, maybe um, oh, helping the homeless, maybe praying, maybe praying for all those in need. There are need. There's so many different examples, right friends? 
Lisa Tellis is watching. Thank you so much for joining, dear friend. So he's telling us to work on our inner transformation because he says it has reserved a future. It will reserve a future repose for us because he did not find repose after he excarnated. And he's grateful for the prayers. Apparently they helped. So before we go further into the prayers, which we will, no worries, dear friends, we want to read the fine print, the small print that Alan Carter gifts us with after this chapter. And here's what he says. This spirit's insistence that the mediums pray over his grave is a remarkable particularity, but is reasonable if we consider the tenacity of the ties that held him to his body and how long and difficult it was for him to disengage himself due to his materialistic existence. Due to his materialistic existence. We understand that when offered close to the body, prayer might exert a sort of powerful magnetic action in assisting with the separation. Mightn't the widespread custom of praying over dead bodies have come from an unconscious intuition to this effect? In such a case, the efficacy of prayer would achieve both a moral and physical result. So what are we learning here? Alan Kardec is telling us that this is a remarkable particularity that Michael kept urging us, the, the mediums, to pray for him. And not just to pray for him, but to pray over his dead body. And he says that it actually makes sense because the ties that Michael still had to his body were very strong and are probably in a lot of people still very strong because most incarnates on earth are not very much prepared. Yes, we're here. All right, all right. Just want to make sure because all of a sudden um, you were gone. Anyway, so it is important to um, educate ourselves and prepare ourselves. And um, his he did not do any of it. So his, his body was very much connected to, his perispirit was still very much connected to his physical body. And Alan Kardec is postulating that this is a common practice because even in religious, you know, we have funerals and we have even open casket um, wakes and all kinds of, you know, different religions deal with it differently, but it's always linked to prayers over the body, right? So let us see why that could be. There is this beautiful book, Leon Denis After Death. He has, let me see, where is it now? I lost my, there is a book, is a chapter on prayer. Yes, it is on page 325. Very interesting chapter, very educational. Of course, we have the first law among the divine laws. We have um, Alan Kardec talk to the spirits and have explain the law of worship. And we learn that prayer is um, a form of worship and a very important form of worship. It is, you know, prayer is an overflow of, of the soul to God. It is a very important practice. It is elevating our mind and connecting ourselves with God's will. And we know also that Jesus taught us to not be so ostensive, 
ostensible in our breathing uh, in our praying that we're not like he said don't stand in the public squares and pray but it is a, it's a it's a private matter it comes from our hearts and minds and connects with god and the good spirits we also know that there's three aspects to a prayer or there can be three aspects to a prayer one is the praise aspect where we praise god and the good spirits and whoever we want to evoke and then there is the aspect of asking asking for help and then there is the gratitude the thank you so those are three main aspects of prayers now let us see what leon denis teaches us about prayer and prayer over four four um diseased people and over the body he actually addresses that very subject very interesting so first he begins the chapter by saying prayer should be an intimate overflowing of the soul to God, a solemn conversation, a meditation, ever useful, often fruitful. It is the supreme resource of the afflicted and of those that are faint at heart. I like um, Leon Denis is very poetic in his way, <coughs> in the way he is expressing himself. He also says, prayer is uplifting above all earthly things an ardent call, an impulse, a beat of, of the wing, a determined flight towards those regions where the rumors and agitation of a material world do not enter. It helps us to elevate ourselves above <clears throat> the vicissitudes of our lives, our challenges, our pains, our sorrows, and it connects us with a different, more happy realm. It is very consoling to pray. And I've read once, prayer is talking to God. <clears throat> and meditation is when we're listening to God, when we receive the answers. So both are very vital in our lives. So then he talks about the mechanisms of prayer, praying for others. And you can find this on page 328 in Leon Denis' Life After uh, after death, it's just after death is the name of the book. And here he says, now we're learning about the prayer. Why did Michael ask so many times for the mediums to pray for him and over his dead body? So he says, when a stone strikes the water, its surface is made to vibrate in concentric undulations. So we know we drop a stone into the water and there is this ripple. It's a ripple effect, right? So likewise is the universal fluid set to vibrating by our thoughts and prayers. So we're surrounded by the universal by by the universal fluid. We're made of it, we're surrounded by it. So he's saying now that our thoughts and prayers are creating similar ripple effects like the stone that drops into the water. But with this difference, so there's a difference. The vibrations of the water are limited, whereas those of the universal fluid follow one another at infinitum. So a body of water, of course, is not eternal. It's at infinitum means for infinity. No, a body of water, there's always a restriction, right? It ends somewhere. I mean, if it's a pond, it's very small, but even the oceans run up against land, right? So the ripple effect eventually will stop. However, when we now think about our prayers and our thinking, 
within the universal cosmic fluid, the ripples go out at infinitum. There is no landmass it runs up against. Interesting, right? So then he says, it results from it that our thought, so from this we learn, that our thought, when impelled by a sufficient impulse and speeded by a sufficient will force, so if we put a lot of you know, heart and mind into it, into our thought, has the power to impress other, perhaps incalculably distant souls. So our prayer, prayers via, and our thoughts, of course, too, via the cosmic, universal cosmic fluid, ad infinitum, can reach souls far and wide. So it's very powerful, which, of course, also reminds us of the responsibility we carry because our thoughts, if they're not um, within the realm of the good, can do a lot of harm equally, right? So... We have to be very cautious. The book Thought and Life by Emmanuel opens our hearts and minds incredibly to this concept of the power of our thinking. So let us continue though. So we're talking about prayer right now. So we're understanding how far and wide our thoughts, our prayers can reach souls. A fluidic current is thus established, which enables the advanced spirits to influence us and to answer our summons. So with this fluidic current, the good spirits can help us and we through our prayers can connect to them and suffering souls, of course, of course, too. We can connect with anyone, anytime. It's like a free Wi-Fi. All we need to do is connect with our thinking, our prayers. A similar action may be exerted by us upon suffering spirits. So not only do we connect with, you know, good spirits, helpful spirits, and they with us, but we can also connect this way via the universal cosmic fluid with suffering spirits. Prayer exercising an influence such as that of magnetism. It penetrates the dense dark fluids that surround the troubled spirits and lessens their sadness and dismay. How beautiful, friends. See how we can be of help? So even if we feel helpless helping the homeless, <laughs> what a funny sentence. We're feeling helpless helping the homeless. Just as an example, we can always speak a prayer or think a prayer, right? Because we're learning. We can, via this magnetism, connect with them and help them surround the dark fluids that surround them and lessen their sadness and dismay. Beautiful. It is the luminous arrow piercing their darkness. It's the luminous, it's the bright, shining, bright arrow that pierces through their dark cloud. It is the melodious vibration which expands and rejoices the oppressed spirit. What comfort it must convey to such spirits to feel that they are not forsaken, to know that some human being still cares for them. So we're learning a lot, friends, right? We're learning the mechanisms of how beautiful, how powerful what a prayer does. And no wonder, now we're understanding better, why Michael was begging so dearly for prayers. He was suffering and he knew that this, these prayers would be this luminous arrow 
piercing the cloud of darkness surrounding him. Would these prayers would help him through his pain? Let us see. We, the lesson continues. That distant friendly voice is bringing the spirits peace, hope, and courage. And it's we're talking about the suffering spirits. And, of course, it helped Michael because he received more peace, hope, and courage due to the prayers. But it is also a lesson for us that we can use that anytime. Anytime we cannot go out and help physically anyone, we can help through prayer. And that may be our hour of doing the good, or maybe half an hour of doing the good per day, of praying for those who are in need. To pray for unhappy souls, to pray with fervor and love, is one of the most efficacious forms of charity, friends. Charity, can you believe it? So prayer is a form, most efficacious, most efficient form of charity. One which all may practice. It doesn't cost us a penny, but it actually helps us too. Because at that very moment, we're actually not losing time doing something frivolous. We're doing the good. For anyone can facilitate the spirit's release and shorten the period of perturbation through which it passes after death. So we can pray for spirits who have just left their physical forms behind. And that is why Michael begged the spirits at his time to pray for him. Because it helped him through the period of perturbation through which he passed the struggle, the suffering, the confusion he experienced to lighten his load. Prayer facilitates the disintegration of the body. It assists the spirit to free itself from the gross fluids that unite it to matter. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Now we know why Michael begged for them to go to his body and pray over his body in several evocations. He said, go to my body and pray over my body. Why? Because prayer has the power to disintegrate the physical form in that particular instance. And it assists the spirit to free itself from the gross fluids, from the molecules that the peri-spirit is still linked to the physical body. Under the influence of the magnetic waves projected by a powerful will, the spirit again becomes conscious of itself and regains itself, its, its self-possession. Prayer for others, for friends, for the sick and the unhappy, when it proceeds from a well-intentioned heart and a sincere faith, may also be of good effect. See, so we don't, it's not only for those who have passed on, but for anyone. Even when the laws of destiny are opposed to the accomplishment of its obje object, even when the trial must be undergone to the bitter end, prayer is never useless. The salubrious fluids with which it is charged accumulate the overflow that death, a death into the peri spirit of being prayed for. Those, those helpful, those healing fluids, this overflow helps the spirits with their pain. And it also invokes good spirits to their side, to the side of the suffering, to help them with their pain. 
and let's see. Yeah, prayer is a thought tending towards righteousness, a luminous thread which connects the dark worlds with the divine, the incarnated spirit with the free and radiant souls. So friends, I think we've learned our lesson. We've learned quite a bit. We've learned to avoid being too materialistic in our lives, like Michael, to be to be living just a good life, to just party, to just enjoy every free moment. Uh, we've learned that it is important to dematerialize our lives. So doing the good, working on our inner transformation and educating ourselves about the transition, our future transition, which will help us to avoid that such painful moment of which sometimes can actually take years, the moment of confusion, those moments where the soul does not know where they are and they're mistaking their physical body for their, their spiritual body for their physical body. And we also learned that not only can we prepare ourselves through education and inner transformation, but prayer, prayer is a vital, it's a powerful, it's one of the most powerful tools that are free in our hands we can always pray we can always pray for those who are suffering we can always pray for those who are in need we can always pray for those who have just passed away and we don't know how much they're still connected to their body and yes going to the graveyard if it was a um a burial where the body wasn't burned and to pray over the body. Now we know it helps to disintegrate the physical form and connect the spirit to God, to the higher realms. Prayer is charity. We learned that prayer is a form of charity. And we also learned in one of the books, and I believe it was from Emmanuel, that even praying for those who are rich and famous who have a lot of time, who are wealthy, who have knowledge, who are endowed with everything that we may long for in this in this life is equally important because we want to pray for them to remember to be charitable, to share of their goods, to share of their time, their knowledge, their wealth. And we include ourselves in, in into that group because we know we're very fortunate and blessed and we can always, always give more. We can always mold ourselves further towards the good. We can always work more on our indulgence towards the imperfection of others. We can always work more towards being more benevolent, having more goodwill towards others. And we can always work more towards being more forgiving and by giving we receive. Dear friends, we thank the Good Spirits, Cardiac Radio and all of you present for this blessed opportunity of being of service and learning yet another amazing, beautiful, heart-touching, educational, mind-opening lesson. Dear friends, thank you for joining. Thank you so much. And so God willing, we will meet again next week, same time, with another case of a suffering spirit. God bless you. Good night.